Section 10 of Edward the Black Prince by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 Poitiers, Part 2. As the battle was about to begin, Sir James Audley came to the prince and told him that he had made a vow that if ever he should be engaged in any battle where the king or any of his sons were, he would be foremost in the attack and the best combatant on their side or die in the attempt. Now he begged permission to leave the prince's side and perform his vow. The prince consented and holding out his hand to him said, Sir James, God grant that this day you may shine in valour above all other knights. Sir James then proceeded to the front, attended only by four squires. He was a prudent and a valiant knight, and the order in which the army had been arranged was owing in great part to his advice. The French now began to advance. Before reaching the battalion of the prince they must pass up the narrow lane where scarce three men could walk abreast, the sides of which were lined with rows of archers. It was certain death for those who advanced first, but the French knights were brave and did not fear death. Two French marshals commanding a body of cavalry fearlessly entered the lane, but as soon as they were well enclosed, the archers let loose their flight of arrows. A deadly and persistent shower came from each side of the lane. The French horses, smarting under the pain of the wounds made by the arrows, would not advance, but turned about and were so unruly as to throw their masters who could not manage them. So great was the confusion that those who had fallen could not get up again. Trampled upon by the terrified horses and wounded by the arrows, they lay writhing on the ground in agony. Some few knights were so well mounted that by the strength of their horses they passed through and broke the hedge, but still could not succeed in getting up to the battalion of the prince. Sir James Audley stood in front of it with his four squires, performing prodigies of valour, and stayed not to make any prisoners. The first battalion of the French were completely routed, for the English men-at-arms rushed in upon them as they were struck down by the archers, and seized and slew them at their pleasure. As this French battalion fell back, it prevented the main body of the army from advancing. The next battalion was commanded by the Duke of Normandy, King John's eldest son. It was seized by wild terror at seeing the retreat of the first battalion, and many knights mounted their horses and started off in flight. A body of English came down from the hill and attacking their flank completed their terror. The English archers shot so quickly and well that the French did not know which way to turn themselves to avoid their arrows. Little by little the English men-at-arms advanced under cover of the shower of arrows sent by their archers. When they saw the first French battalion beaten and the second in disorder, they mounted their horses, which they held by their bridles, and raised a shout of St. George for Guienne. Sir John Chandos said to the prince, Sir, now push forward, for the day is ours. God will this day put it in your hand. Let us make for the king of France. Where he is will lie the main stress of the business. His valour will not let him fly. He will be ours if it please God and St. George, but he must be well fought with. You have before said that you will show yourself this day a good knight. The prince answered, John, get forward. You shall not see me turn my back this day, for I will always be among the foremost. As they advanced, 
the battle grew very hot and was greatly crowded many a one was unhorsed the battalion of the duke of normandy on seeing the prince's approach hastened their flight the king's three sons who commanded it were advised to fly and galloped away many others followed their example though there were not wanting some brave knights who preferred death to flight then the king's battalion advanced in good order the king and his knights had dismounted they despaired of the day but were determined at least to save their honour fighting on foot it was hard to resist the shock of the english men-at-arms but the king fought with desperate bravery and by his side fought his little son philip a boy of fifteen who warned his father against unexpected blows the bravery of the boy on that day earned for him the surname of le hardi the bold he was that philip le hardi afterwards so well known as duke of burgundy king john proved himself a good knight if the fourth of his people had behaved as well the day would have been his own round him his knights too fought with great courage many were slain at his side and others were obliged to yield themselves prisoners the king himself was twice wounded in the face but still fought bravely on many of the english who knew him pressed round in eagerness to take him crying surrender yourself or you are a dead man he was getting very roughly treated when a young knight called dennis morbeck forced his way through the medley and bade the king surrender to him then the king turned to him and said to whom shall i surrender myself where is my cousin the prince of wales if i could see him i would speak to him sire answered dennis he is not here but surrender yourself to me and i will lead you to him then the king asked who he was and on learning gave him his right-hand glove and said i surrender myself to you meanwhile the prince of wales had been fighting with the courage of a lion sir john chandos who had never left his side now said to him sir it will be right for you to halt here and plant your banner on the top of this bush that you may rally your scattered forces i do not see any banners or pennons of the french they cannot rally again and you must refresh yourself a little as you are very much heated then the banner of the prince was placed on a high bush the minstrels began to play and the trumpets and clarions to sound the prince took off his helmet to cool himself and his attendants soon pitched a small pavilion of crimson cloth into which he entered wine was given him and his knights to drink every minute fresh knights kept arriving they were returning from the pursuit which was carried even to the gates of poitiers and now stopped with their prisoners at the prince's tent the prince asked eagerly for news of the king of france none had seen him leave his battalion he must be either killed or a prisoner immediately the prince ordered two of his barons the earl of warwick and lord cobham to ride off and learn what they could about the king they soon came upon a crowd of men-at-arms english and gascon who had snatched the king of france from the knight who had first taken him and were now disputing who should have him the king feeling himself in danger entreated them to take him and his son in a courteous manner to the prince as he was great enough to make them all rich the two barons forced their way through the crowd and ordered them under pain of instant death to retreat then dismounting they greeted the king with profound reverence and led him quietly to the prince's tent 
the prince on seeing his royal prisoner made him a low bow and gave him such comfort as he could he ordered wine and spices to be brought and himself waited on the king the battle had begun at nine in the morning and was over at noon but not till dusk did the english return from the pursuit of their enemies so great was the number of prisoners that the english feared that it might be difficult to keep them all and thought it wiser to ransom a great part of them on the spot such was the confidence inspired by chivalry in a man's word that many were released on their promise of coming to bordeaux before christmas to pay their ransom no fewer than seventeen counts were among the prisoners and six thousand men lay dead upon the field the english encamped that night on the battlefield amidst the dead many of them had hardly tasted bread for three days now they had abundance of all things for the french had brought great stores of provisions with them besides provisions they gained also quantities of gold and silver plate rich jewels and furred mantles the french army had come confident of victory provided with magnificent dresses and luxuries of all kinds that evening the prince of wales gave a supper in his pavilion to the king of france the food served had all been taken from the french as the english had nothing the french king with his son and his principal barons were seated at the chief table and was waited upon by the prince himself who showed every mark of humility he would not sit down at the table though pressed to do so but said that he was not worthy of so great an honour nor did it become him to seat himself at the table of so great a king or of so valiant a man as he had shown himself by his actions that day he did his utmost to cheer the king saying dear sir do not make a poor meal because the almighty god has not gratified your wishes in the event of this day be assured that my father will show you every honour and friendship in his power and will arrange your ransom so reasonably that you will henceforward always remain friends in my opinion you have cause to be glad that the success of this battle did not turn out as you desired for you have this day acquired such high renown for prowess that you have surpassed all the best knights on your side i do not say this dear sir to flatter you for all on our side who saw the deeds of both parties agree that this is your due and award you the prize and garland for it this little speech was greeted with murmurs of applause from every one the french said the prince had spoken nobly and truly and that he would be one of the most gallant princes in christendom if god should grant him life to pursue his career of glory after supper the english repaired to their several tents each taking with him the knights or squires he had captured they soon came to agreement about ransoms as the english lords were not greedy in their demands and asked no more than each man declared he could pay the next morning they rose early and heard mass after breakfast whilst the servants packed up the baggages their lords decamped and the army began its march to bordeaux the minorites of the convent of poitiers took upon themselves the melancholy task of burying the dead the bodies were carried in carts and buried in large graves in their churchyard funeral masses were sung in all the churches and convents of the town of poitiers at the cost of the good citizens of the town so was fought the great battle of poitiers a signal instance of what a small force can do when skilfully posted and fighting for its life the french army failed 
through their excess of confidence in their proud strength the first rebuff was so unexpected that it struck terror into the whole army and made them fly before a quarter of their number had been really engaged in battle of the english few fought more bravely than sir james audley who was badly wounded the prince inquired for him after the battle and caused him to be carried in a litter to the spot where he was standing then he bent down over him and embraced him saying that he had acquired glory and renown above them all and proved himself the bravest knight as a reward he endowed him with a yearly income of five hundred marks this pension sir james afterwards divided between the four squires who had fought so bravely with him and when the prince learned this he praised him much for his generosity bravest and at the same time most modest of all the knights was the prince himself two letters are still preserved in which he gives an account of the battle one to the bishop of worcester and one to the city of london in each he tells the simplest story of his victory taking no credit to himself in his letter to the city of london after describing the events which led up to the battle of poitiers he says for default of victuals as well as for other reasons it was agreed that we should take our way flanking them in such manner that if they wished for battle or to draw towards us in a place that was not very much to our disadvantage we should be the first and so forthwith it was done whereupon battle was joined on the eve of the day before st matthew twenty first september and god be praised for it the enemy was discomfited and the king was taken and his son and a great number of other great people were both slain and taken as our chamberlain the bearer hereof who has very full knowledge thereon will know how more fully to inform you and show you as we are not able to write you End of section ten.